Hello, and welcome to A Star to Steer Her By. Uh, this is Ames. We're recording episode 8 today. We'll be covering The Conscious of the King and Balance of Terror. And of course, joining me are... Caitlin. Jake. And Chris. synopsis of Conscience of the King is Kirk is invited to Planet Q by his friend Dr. Layton, who thinks he has found Governor Kodos, the executioner, who is responsible for about, what 4,000 deaths in the in the past 20 or 20 years ago. But right now he's just a Shakespearean actor. So the episode is them trying to determine if this is indeed Kodos the executioner or just a man. And they learn at the end, spoilers guys, it's been his daughter. His, his daughter has been taking over, killing off all witnesses afterwards. And quick synopsis of Balance of Terror is our first introduction to the Romulans who start attacking outposts outside the neutral zone. Now, we never knew what the Romulans looked like, and we finally get to see a visual on screen, and they look just like Vulcans. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, 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 indeed. Which really freaks out that one crewman who apparently almost all of his ancestors died in the Federation Romulan War of a century prior, and he's still mad about all it. All right, all right. We'll get, we'll get to that, Chris. You keep, you keep your haunches on that chair. So we, we see them. Immediately, everyone says, what if, what if Spock is in on it? Kirk starts finding, like, starts uh, de- deploying all these evasive maneuvers, all these attack strategies to like make sure that they've dealt with this Romulan ship without starting a full-blown new war that will ravage the galaxy. And after playing dead in the middle of space for a while, they lure the Romulan, Romulan ship out and deliver the kill shot. And that'll about do for synopsis. All right, so uh, Conscience of the King then. Yeah, these are, these are two episodes where we, where we meet foes that we don't quite know who they are and what they look like, mm. which is which is my way of tying this episode together a little bit. Sure. Conscious of the King is interesting. It's sort of our first introduction to something that becomes a recurring, I don't know, motif, theme, whatever, in Star Trek, which is Shakespeare. There's lots of Shakespeare in yeah. Star Trek. Yeah, and this is definitely where it sort of <coughs> is very obvious. Yeah, well, I mean, they are Shakespearean actors, yeah. yeah, and there are many parallels between Kodos and Macbeth, and his daughter Lenore with Lady Macbeth, and or Ophelia, and or any other classical heroine who goes crazy and kills everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to admit, I actually, I, I forgot it was her. Did you? Yeah, I don't know how. I'd watched this episode, I think, relatively, like, recently, as in within the last year or two. And I somehow still had forgotten that she was the one offing the people that could have identified her father. So that was a pleasant surprise. Interesting. Mm. Now I'm wondering, now, you know, the episode sort of starts, and through most of the episode, there's a implication of a, of a budding romance between her and Kirk. Oh, oh God, my. so gross. Yeah. It's She's 19. Is that how old she was supposed to be? Yeah, it gets oh. mentioned yeah, that's briefly. True. Ouch. Because yeah. she would have been born right after all of the... the problems on Kodos's old planet yeah. Tarsus 4. Now does does she know the whole time that Kirk is a witness and therefore is is she is Kirk always on her list? 
I'm sure. I'm sure he's on her list because because uh, she knows exactly there are nine people. She knew. Mm. She knew from the get go there were nine people. She's gotten seven, seven of them, yeah. and I feel like there's almost like I was trying to see it in her eyes when when Kirk introduces himself to see if there was like this moment of recognition. And but she's an actress, so she's an actress character, and she's an actress. You know, of course, in, in real life. So trying to see like if she's like, oh, Kirk, a eh? let me sharpen my knives. <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of thinking that. Kirk sort of unwittingly played into her hand by inviting them on. I kind of wonder if she would have contrived for them to have missed their flight if Kirk hadn't already done it for her. Mm. Yeah, there's a number of things that don't really add up in this episode. That's one of them, because they would have, that the Enterprise would have just left. Yeah. I don't get how she knew about it. How she knew that her dad was Kodos. Because she's 19, which means she was born after it happened. Mm. And you can tell because he, like, feels really really bad about it. I don't suspect he was, like, reminiscing with her about the bad old days. I'm sure he gave hints, is the thing. Like, even in that in that play when, you know, he can hear people in the background making comments about Kodos, and then he even tells her, like, oh, ghosts from my past are coming back. I bet he's made comments before, just out of guilt. I mean, I figured a, a very logical way it could have happened is maybe the first time they they come across one of the survivors, say, unintentionally. And like Dr. Layton here on this planet, he he or she is like, oh, Christ, it's Kodos. You know, maybe she's younger at that point, and they confront her. It's like, I've got to get you away. Do you know who your father is? And yada, yada, yada. And maybe she doesn't believe it at first, but looks into it. And like Kirk, notices the lack of any history of Caridian before 20 years ago. and Caridian being Kodos's. Yeah, the, his actor name. Acting name. And uh, that, you know, clearly, however she found out, clearly it broke her. And that's fair. You find out your old man is some kind of genocidal maniac. Yeah, and she loves him, of course. They are, it's very clever how, it's clever how very subtly they sort of get across that there's a lot of connection there, you know, when... In retrospect, because it kind of takes a while before we meet Caridian off of the stage, when Kirk goes and confronts him in his cabin, you know, he's got all this stuff about your mechanized world and all this, turning people into robots or whatever, which was sort of foreshadowed, kind of, on Kirk's creepy little date with uh, Lenore, where she says something to the effect of, like, you know, has your world changed women into just people? Which is, I mean, can unpack that later. But just the (laughs) idea that... She's definitely absorbed his ideas that there's something about modern society that is somehow affecting people for the worse. You know, and there's obviously a similar theatrical style to them because they're well, she was raised in the theater and Caridian has hidden himself within the theater. They did a good job of of making them feel like, you know, he had probably raised her. And so if she's devoted enough, she finds out who he is. The fact kind of like I said, just really affects her badly. She kills the first one to protect him, and it just sort of builds from there. That, that's like one way I figured it was it logically could have happened. Alternately, we don't know anything about her mother. This is true. We don't know how her and Kodos met, and considering he apparently was getting right to it immediately after his supposed death, maybe this was a sort of a, a loyal soldier who ran off with him. I don't know because then then you would say. And this is this is where I, I wonder a bit if there are nine people who have seen him who can identify him. A, how do how do that exactly does computer know exactly who the nine people who have ever seen him ever are? <laughs> which is a stretch to me. I'm guessing they're the survivors of Tarsus Four. Yeah, but yeah. there were there were 
at least four thousand survivors of Tarsus Four. Yeah, because you know because they, only they said like fifty percent of the yeah, population. There was yeah, they do specify. Percentage of, uh, there was a population of eight thousand. He killed four thousand, so the other would live. That's because they were waiting on supplies. Well, right. Well, we that, know that that's well, what. But it sounds. But so we don't know necessarily what happened when the supply ships arrived. Because it sounds like there might have been some chaos, or because evidently Kodos died, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So was there riots? Was you know what what happened? Uh, that's that's I, speculation. I think I the implication. The implication. I think well, was just whole, whoever. This whole thing is speculation. Listen, you're listen. speculating how she knows that he's Kodos and why there's only nine. I'm witnesses. not speculating. I maybe he speculating. just maybe he yeah. just uh, did the Wizard of Oz holographic head when speaking to his people, and that's why no one's seen him. Yeah, it does seem weird that like if there, if it was a colony of eight thousand. We, because yeah, it's when I think during the confrontation between Kodos and Kirk is when they give the exact figures, and it was like there were eight thousand people. He killed half, so half could live, and all that. How of all those people, somehow only nine? Exactly nine, and they also, and also like as if no one else has seen him, like no like maid has walked into the room to like change his sheets or anything. Yeah, it's a little weird. Like, I mean, I or even I, people on, I or know. even people on his <clears throat> side, like he never had a second in command. Did everyone? Com- like fake or commit suicide? Yeah, it's, like he it's a little like. I'd like to think I'd recognize my governor on the street. Yeah, here's the other thing I that I was I would. that I I thought of that is a little incongruous. If no one has seen Kodos as governor of Tarsus Four, when Kirk asks the computer for a side by side comparison, the computer has a picture of Kodos. Oh yeah, yeah. what? what is computer <laughs> was computer a witness? Major Barrett, what have you done to us? Well, yeah, it's, I, I don't that's know. actually I a really say, good point. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. There's a difference between knowing what a person looks like based on a photograph and actually having been there. Still, still. But you would think someone would have made the connection by now. Like, I mean, people get caught because of wanted posters all the time. You would think that if this guy... And they have his voice imprint, too. Yeah. It's a big galaxy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. And yeah, evidently, I mean, they're, evidently they're tour... Is specifically targeting locations where there are uh, witnesses. Witnesses is that Lenore's do, uh, doing or what? She seems to have a. She seems to be both the. Uh, She's a managing director. Of kind of. She seems to handle a lot of their arrangements. So yeah, because she sets up with Kirk to to come aboard when the other uh, transport right, right, drops right. out. I just yeah. I just assumed that was because she knew she could like. Use her wiles. Yeah, yeah. To Convince into... him with her with her <laughs> wink, wink. sexuality and, I'm, I'm and all her pretty dresses. There, that, mm. that she went to that planet because she knew that Leighton was there, and then it was just a special bonus that Kirk showed up with. Yeah, with I don't know Riley. how she would have gotten Kirk, Kirk and Riley afterwards because they're both you know they're enlisted in in Starfleet. They travel around. Like how how would she have ever found them? That actually since he's come up, bugs me more than anything in this episode. How did Kirk not know about Riley? If there were these sort of these nine special survivors who, for whatever reason, would be able to identify Kodos better than anyone else. Like, clearly there was some sort of aftermath. They never got these nine people in a room together, like, as part of whatever well, they investigation think, they, they did. They thought Kodos was dead, so... Well, but there was a, they, they, oh, they, like a, the authorities closed the book on it, though. So there no was some survi- kind of... No survivors, like, support group. Not even that, but just, like, you think they would have gathered them all and had had interviews and this, and you're like... I think of it as witness protection. Well, Riley they also would have been didn't a change child, anyone's I name. think. Yeah, yeah, if this was 20 years ago, how old is Riley? He would have been probably, like, six, maybe. Maybe. 
How old was Kirk supposed to be? I was wondering the same thing. I swear to God, I read on, on the Memory Alpha or on Wiki or somewhere that there was a reference to him being X level of, in Starfleet at the time. And then they realized, wait a minute, that would make him 50 now. And that wouldn't make sense. I don't remember them saying he was in Starfleet. But he's supposed to be in his early 30s. So he would have been a teenager. Uh, on 16? the cusp of teenagerhood if not well, like 13 right if it was 20 yeah. Years. oh yeah so I actually wrote down that he could have been like 13 well we know his dad was in Starfleet so it's possible his father was stationed there mm. that's true mm. so what were you saying what else bothered you about this episode Jake? well it we... bothered me but just things that didn't quite <coughs> add up like how did Lenore murder Layton very carefully poison well <laughs> but so well, she uh no I Jake presume... it's a woman's way <laughs> so she so we don't know <laughs> what happened before Lenore meets Kirk at the party, but the party's at Leighton's house, so presumably Leighton was No, he had there. specifically yeah, gone yeah. out on an errand for a minute, Yeah, so Kirk she talks found with, him on with, the way. Yeah, Kirk talks with Lady Leighton, who says, oh yeah, he's he's gone into town, but he's on the way home. He just radioed that he's on his, on his way back. So yeah, she must have intercepted him she while intercepted he was out. Him? Or Lenore was one who sent him out to begin with to get him away. Mm. Well, no, because she shows up at the party. Yeah. That's a thing. Like, she was at the party, but she was also outside murdering... Well, I thought she yeah. arrived after Kirk got there. Well, it's hard to say. I guess I guess we could say that that's true, but... That, yeah, that'd be my thought, sir. I mean, evidently, her and Lady Layton are the only guests at the party. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as we can tell, the theatrical troupe is... Uh, her Meridian, and her, her and that one oh, guy. And Hamlet. Hamlet was yeah, there. Yeah, Hamlet. He wasn't great. I've seen better Hamlets. I've seen worse Hamlets, but... <laughs> I mean, there's a Hamlet that's so bad they covered it in a Mystery Science Theater once. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like Hamlet Goes to Mars? It was some kind of weird, minimalist German one. Oh, boy. Isn't there a Mel Gibson Hamlet? There is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's really creepy. He, like, mounts Yeah, they mom. really ramp up it's the really gross. bullshit, Ooh. apparently. You know, weird. it's really gross. I just had to watch it in high school, and I was like, why am I watching this? Okay. Who's his mom? Glenn Close? I feel like his mother was played by Glenn Close. Yeah, Someone who I it. feel like is too close to Mel Gibson's contemporary to have played his mom. Either when did way. that movie come out? 1990. Early, early to mid-90s, I want to say. I feel like, because how old is Hamlet supposed to be? In his 20s? Yeah, no, one, like... no one age appropriate has ever played Hamlet. Because, yeah, he's supposed to be like university age. And yeah. he's always played by guys in their 30s and up. Well, yeah, he's the young prince. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fucking David Tennant played Hamlet when he was 45 or something. <laughs> yeah, that's what they do. They have older people play Hamlet. It makes no sense whatsoever. Well, because older actors are the only ones that have the gravitas. Yeah, mm. but see, the younger actors are close enough to actually having been an angsty teenager, I feel. Everything's too. really serious, yeah. man. How, how my my girlfriend's we acting a, weird. Got a Harry Potter uh, Hamlet. Oh, Whenever he's like too that. old for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 15 years from now. I don't know. He's, he looks like the type that would, that would play Hamlet. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, though, the guy in the Caridian players was probably young enough to be Hamlet. Mm. Closer, Didn't... certainly, than many. Yeah. I actually really like this episode, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this aside from was some great. of the... Oh, yeah, there's some episode. things that... They're not necessarily plot holes, per se. They just don't explain exactly. You know, we don't know exactly how she found out. We don't know certain basic mechanics. But overall, it's a it's a really solid plot. A yeah. good idea. Very well executed. And yeah, as you I, pointed out, it's the first time we see Horndog Kirk. Yeah, it makes me really upset I feel... We've that seen glimpses of Horndog Glimpses, Kirk. but this is the first kind of, like, he's just... I mean, just... There's, also, there's also Naked Time Kirk, which is just... True, but he's... Space drunk. Yeah. 
But this is this is sort of the Kirk we think of as Kirk. The kind of a woman shows up, soft lighting, he's immediately like, I'm going to make a weird pass at you. And it's really upsetting that the first time we get that, it's with a 19-year-old. Uh, to be fair, it was almost with a 13-year-old. Mm. <laughs> so Well, but she was also like a 300-year-old. Well, I mean, there was also the robot. The robot, um, Andrea. That's true. Andrea, yeah. True, she was like four. So, like, all these little <laughs> creepy... And, you know, and in this one, arguably, Kirk was playing Lenore as well, potentially. Oh, absolutely. You know, he wanted to get... At, in the beginning. Closer to, uh... uh Kodos. You smooth talker, you. See, I liked I liked that, and I likened it when we were watching, or after we watched it, I said, oh man, so this is, if this if this is the woman that sets Kirk down his, fucking his way through the galaxy ways, then that means that Lenore was the Vespa Lind to his James Bond. Because he started to, like, really have deep feelings for her in spite of the fact that it turned, it started out as, like, something that he was using her, and then she turned out to be in on it the whole time, and yeah. Know, had to his heart his heart has been has been broken he's been jaded and now it's just time to fuck his way through space i was really disappointed that you know, there was a moment where i think it's after lenore charters the enterprise basically where she's leaving the bridge and rand is coming on and they pass on the turbo lift and Aww. janice gives her this little look yeah and i was mm-hmm. like i was i was admittedly you know maybe it wasn't the best thing to hope for but i was kind of hoping they would fall back on awful 60s sexism and there'd be some really awkward scene of Rand being jealous and kind of grilling Kirk about her. Mm. Well, fun fun fact, uh, in, in production timeline, this was the very last scene ever filmed with Rand. Mm. And pretty much when they went, and she knew she was canned like a week before or whatever. Mm. So once once she was done with her scene, she went back and had a bottle of booze. A whole bottle? Pro- possibly. Oh. She she had a drinking problem after the show. The quantity of possibly booze during was the show, not, I don't know. Was not historically recorded. Uh-huh. An amount. Amount of some booze. some liquor. Yeah. Poor, she did not have a great time. Poor yeah. Rand. Yeah, a second, uh, second and final maybe appearance of uh, Riley. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't, shows I, I, I don't know, but he's annoying whenever we see him. He <laughs> oh is always God. so amazingly annoying. He was being such a fucking. This was like the two episodes so far that were just full of just mopey edge lord emo douchebags. Between this and Balance of Terror, yeah. Being fair, this guy did kill his whole family. Probably in front of him. Very likely. No, 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 but he's not upset because he thinks Kodos killed his family. He's upset because he's down in engineering by himself and the whole universe doesn't still exist. Oh, oh sing me a song. Oh, God, another oh, God. musical I, number. Seriously, is, it that, lasted is, that also, so long. is that also our second and final Aurora song? No, I'm, pre- I'm pretty certain there are more, but this no. one lasted for fucking ever. <sighs> I mean, it was pre- like, the thing is, is like the singing is pretty enough, but it just feels so... Out of place? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, what? Also, Lenore has some crazy access. Because she gets into engineering, gets into a chemical locker. She somehow gets into Kirk's quarters at some point because she sticks a phaser on overload behind one of his lighting fixtures. Like, what is it? Like, you're a guest on the Enterprise and you just get top-level security clearance just sitting there poking there. Oh, look, it's the fucking well, she uses, Starfleet Archives. She uses her feminine wiles, I'm sure. I mean, I mean, anytime you saw Mud's women back then, people mm. just let them do whatever the hell they wanted. True. And actually, uh, they, they do seem, you, Caitlin, you said when we were watching Balance of Terror and you had Rand walk into Kirk's quarters Kevin. and then... Quickly followed by McCoy. And you just McCoy. went, does anybody knock on this shit? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, nobody seems to lock their fucking door. 
Yeah, it seems like the only time in the original series when doors are locked is when somebody bad is on the other side of them. <laughs> yeah. And they need to get to them. Yeah, I guess that's that's one thing I kind of forgot about, you know, with all the later shows. All, people always have to kind of knock or yeah, chime. There's a, there's a doorbell. Well, or when Riley is on the other side singing Irish tunes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> God damn it, Riley. I mean, I wonder how it is on like an actual military, like a navy ship. Do you think there? Do you think the cabin doors lock on a ship like that? I don't know, but I imagine even if they don't, you, I imagine you just walk into the captain's quarters without announcing yourself. Mm. I mean, certainly the regular crewmen—they're all just, I think, still just bunched together in sort of a mass shared area of bunks and cots. Yeah, and they probably have a locked box of some kind. If yeah. they have but but like I imagine you, you, even if you can just kind of walk into the captain's quarters, you wouldn't. You know, mm. I, I'd assume there's a protocol, but I don't actually know. Well, but that's that's part of that weird Star Trek tension of they're a military organization, but they don't want to depict them as such. Sometimes, I mean, that's one of the major sort of. You know, depending on who's in charge at the time, there's always that back and forth between, well, how military are they and how much are they a research vessel? And I feel like the original series definitely errs more towards military, though. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Especially when we get to Balance of Terror in a couple yeah. minutes. Yeah. The actor that played... Uh, Caridian Ne Kodos. Yeah. Oh, I loved him. Yeah, I thought he was, he was really so good. good. Even that moment where he gets all melodramatic in his cabin, I was like, oh, you're fantastic. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, he was fantastic. He was great to watch. Now, the question is, so this is something I kind of wondered. Was acting like a something that, that younger Kodos had done and it sort of fell by the wayside? Because he seemed to very naturally fill the role of, of sort of ridiculous thespian. You know, I was like, is he, did he just learn it that well over the course of the 20 years or Part of the reason he fell into acting was because just kind of like, eh, this is something I know I can do. Hide. Well, I mean, if you're trying to put on a new guise, yeah, you know, conceal your identity. I mean, for one, an actor evidently in this this acting troupe doesn't stay in one place at any for any given amount of time. So. Yeah, no, not very long. They yeah, he gets long to engagements. wear costumes and makeup and. Yeah. yeah. The one lousy thing about being a uh, being a traveling theater group is that you're broadcasting yourself or you're appearing in front of more people, and thus you're you have a larger slice of maybe people who will figure it out. Mm-hmm. Although if they're mostly, you know, maybe they mostly stay to the backwaters of the galaxy. You know, because we know that after Planet Q, which great name, guys. Oh my! I wrote the same thing. I said, uh, oh, this is this is the worst planet name yet. They're off to some colony or something. Like they do seem to kind of bounce around. Deep, well, not deep space, but sort of the outer fringes of where humanity is settled. It would seem. Which I don't know. I would. I would need a galactic map. I and mean, even though we, even though we see a quick, weird, dr- a galactic map in Balance of Terror, which is a strangely two D, looks like a shoreline kind of a map. I, I feel like the the galaxy is probably more complex. I don't think at this point either they quite figured out exactly what their galaxy looked like. You know, especially with the original series, it seems from episode to episode it varied around how much of the galaxy they had explored and which how quadrant fast which. they were actually going. Yeah, the speed thing gets to me every so often. Yeah, I think it would take until I wouldn't even say it would probably next gen before they really kind of hammer down like the quadrants, how big they are, how far away things are and I mean just the fact that you can have and we'll get we'll get more to this in Balance of Terror, the fact that you could have high speed chases 
but in space. So these are like the highest speed chases you can have in the lo- in the most vast area you could cover. And you can still like find each other again after after flying for light years and light years. Yeah. That's a little that's a little beyond me sometimes. Yeah, I I think a lot of science fiction unfortunately just has there's always issues in you know it's a question if it's they're not really getting it when they write it or just not bothering with it because they're like yeah the audience won't care but scale and distance and all this you know it, it's all very it's hard to wrap your mind around living on earth for yeah, one thing, yeah so. and i think they they know that you know they can kind of get away with fudging it well and also like sort of feel like in the 60s sci-fi wasn't as part like big a part of like the zeitgeist as it is now and as it would be after star trek even like yeah even now though look at uh fucking star wars 7 apparently whatever the hell the heridian system or what spoilers for episode 7 but come on you've seen it by now they they blow up the heridian system i think it's called and apparently it's close enough to whatever solar system maz kanata lives in that they can see it exploding almost <laughs> immediately in the middle of the day, and it's just like, oh, dude, come on! Yeah, well, but... that's your that's your nit to pick. That's well, I just that's a good example of how even in modern science fiction they just kind of go eh when it comes to scale and distance and the speed of light and shit. But I think that that's okay because these are not you know as much as science quote science fiction these are not science shows yeah they're not hard sci-fi you know it's an adventure story and if it makes the story if if there's more drama in being able to see the exploding planets then who the fuck cares or if it's if having a chase in space Mm. makes makes the drama like how boring would it be if it was like okay we're at warp episode's over we're far away now (laughs) yeah or giving riley a glass of milk that can shatter on the floor when any any other time he's had a paper fucking cup right (laughs) i didn't think of that yeah i mean at the end of the day this is all just drama yeah uh so i don't know i give a i give a big pass to most things when there are inconsistencies or inaccuracies that make it a better story. Well, yeah. I, I, I use it to supplement to it, too, because I'm, I'm interested in this stuff, even though a lot of it is well is well over my head. Just to look into what it would actually be like by what we know of the universe today. And there there are many interesting things that you can you can discover in the inconsistencies, which, which are still very fun. Yeah. And I definitely, I definitely give a pass in general to science fiction, especially... The original series, because I mean, like you said, you know, the, the next episode we'll be discussing. There was like, yeah, you know what? It's a submarine show for this episode. I mean, there's always hints of that, but they really crank it up to eleven. I feel but we'll like, get to that when we get to it. I was gonna say, I feel like we keep saying when we talk about balance terror, when we talk about balance terror, can we just talk about balance terror. I feel like, do we have anything else to say about the conscience of the king? I mean, the one thing I was gonna say, I had a, I had a couple of very small points, and also they they involve talking about science in space, which are which, as I said, I think is cool, and that's that we actually see the ship at quote unquote night mm. on the Enterprise, even though night doesn't exactly exist oh, yeah. on a spaceship. The mood lighting. <laughs> yeah, he says, oh yeah, we try to keep. What does he say? We try to keep Earth hours. Yeah, yeah. Earth Earth hours for one thing, because they reference a planet that they're going to see at fifteen hundred hours or something. And they say that they try to keep the the ship acclimated so that it looks like night when it's supposed to be nighttime, when it's look like day when it's daytime, and, and whatever else. Uh, and I started started to think about you know how it is in 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 space actually, and how it would be on like the ISS. 
And the ISS is something that intrigues me to no end. I was never one of those kids who wanted to go to space camp, but I was I am probably a hop, skip, and jump from that. And did you know, guys, that the ISS travels so fast around the Earth, because it's always um, orbiting the Earth, that it sees 15 or 16 sunset, sunsets a day. Whoa. Jesus, I had no idea. Yeah, really cool. That really cool, cool stuff. But it means that they don't have... They, they can't clock by the sun by saying, oh, it's daytime, oh, it's nighttime. They, they just keep universal time, which is almost exactly the same as Greenwich Mean Time. Hmm. But cool, cool facts about time and space, guys. That is yeah. cool. I liked in that scene where they're in the little... The little, uh, the little observation deck overlooking the shuttle bay. I said at the time, I, I kind of wanted there to be a line where Kirk's like, this is our observation ladders, that's the flight deck where you keep our shuttles. I, shuttles, fuck, we could have gotten Sulu <laughs> up that way. <laughs> Son of a bitch. And she's like, what? Nothing. It was a different, nothing. nothing. Nice. You know, the, uh, the, the mood lighting and the day and night cycle ties into something that I don't think really gets addressed again until TNG. Maybe it maybe it does come up later in, in TOS. I'm just not remembering it. But shifts. You mm. know, and who's on yeah. the night shift? Who's on the night shift? You know, is there is there a three shift rotation? You know, who who's in command of the ship when Kirk's taking a nap? Mm-hmm. How does that work? Yeah, I've I've always you know, one thing I don't think I Star Trek has ever done is it just Luckily for them, everyone seems to keep the same schedule because crises seem to only happen mm. when everyone's either already on the bridge or at least has only been off shift long enough that they're still in uniform. <laughs> like, just <laughs> once, I want to see someone rushing onto the bridge, like, buttoning up their shirt or, well, they don't really button, but you know what I mean. Getting their badge on or affixing a pip, just something, you know? Just, well, because that never really, I think, happens. Undiscovered country, they wake up Sulu. True. Data's Day, a TNG episode. Shows Data working the night shift. Okay. And then the other, you know, and then like Riker shows up and to relieve him. Hmm. Uh, so there is like wait, 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 fleeting wait. glimpses. They have a crew of something like what, a thousand people on a galaxy class, mm. and they make their main officers take part of the night shift. Well, I'm guessing that Data doesn't really sleep. True, but Riker does when he's not, <laughs> you know. Playing the trombone oh, yeah, I think or Riker making would, awkward passes at people. I think it was transitioning from night shift into day shift, okay. and that's why Riker showed up. That, that makes sense. But yeah, that's actually that was something that did come up in um, one of the Star Trek novels I read years ago. Was there? There is, you know, at least in that they did have a specific sort of night crew, hmm. and there was some specific, you know, like person who was the captain effectively during non-crisis moments during the night, and you know, it's, it's the night shift's job to sort of call the main officers when shit goes down yeah, but like, oh no the coffee machine's broken wake up kirk <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be scotty <laughs> or rand 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 knows how to phaser phaser up a cup of coffee yeah, exactly so there's actually there was a little line in the episode i saw in my notes that that was interesting to me and I, it's never really addressed again but i kind of wonder what the what had been behind it when they wrote it because again a lot of stuff some still seem to be not quite established yet but when mccoy is trying so hard to get spock to have a drink with him spock mentions that his people were what is it free of the dubious effects it, it sounds like they either don't enjoy or at least can't get drunk and mccoy just goes huh no one you got conquered and i'm like conquered with was there going to be some sort of idea where maybe the Federation, before it became nice, was briefly crazy and imperial. I have hmm. no idea. Because that was, it was a weird little line. I was like, who, co- no one conked, well, okay. I, I, again, I just kind of wonder what was behind that. What, what maybe the idea had been that was eventually dropped or shelved or whatever. Yeah, that, um, 
you're mentioning the uh, the McCoy scene. That was a, I thought that was a pretty interesting aspect to this episode too. Was it showcased sort of the positive side of the Spock McCoy relationship? Because a lot of times we we see them in sort of this pseudo adversarial yeah. devil on one shoulder, drunk yeah. on the other. <laughs> <laughs> sort of to, to use very basic. I didn't take any psychology Freudian terms. You always kind of get the idea that they are as close as possible to sort of the id and the superego and Kirk's the ego. Mm. Or whichever one the other two cycle through. Well, I think it's id, ego, and, and like the ego is the one that is supposed to strike the balance between the other two halves or something. Mm. But yeah, so because of that, though, they're normally in opposition. But yes, in this case, they seem to be sort of working together to get Kirk to, first of all, say what the hell is going on, <laughs> and to deal with it appropriately. Yeah. Well, there's still, actually, they're still sort of at odds in that Spock is like, he's acting awfully suspicious, and McCoy's like, I'm sure it's fine. Well, Spock but it's figures cool. out immediately, oh, right. you're definitely Kodos, and I'm certain of this. Yeah. But I like, I like the idea that, like, even though McCoy was sort of not giving him the value validation that he was looking for i liked that we saw spock like going to mccoy and being like you're my friend and i need some yeah, advice inviting yeah. in each other yeah so i was into that yeah that's a nice touch yeah another nice touch that i liked was the um the paralleling that so Leighton draws the enterprise to his planet planet q God, uh, by claiming that he has a new, new synthetic food substance that could save millions and millions of lives or whatever. And I think that was a nice touch, considering that on Tarsus 4, everyone was ravaged by, what, the a fungus that ate all their food. Yeah, there was yeah. a famine. I mean, that, that could suggest that, you know, half, after having had that experience, Leighton dedicated his life to... Making sure that such a thing mm. wouldn't happen that is, again. Yeah, I mean, he obviously didn't actually manage it, but he was probably actually working on something like that. Do we ever learn what took half of Leighton's face? Presumably something to do with what Kodos was up yeah, to. Yeah, but I don't know if... It never came up, like, how the executions were, were handled or, like, how close Leighton would have been to any of that. Like, it, it was something that just seemed to come out of nowhere to me. Yeah, well, that's yeah, funny. He turns I, over and he's missing half his face. I well, forgot that was the case. I was like... Because you, you can see a little bit of the eye patch. Like, oh, he's going to have an eye patch. And then he turns his head and it's like, oh, no, you are you are at stage one of making a Borg costume. You haven't glued any bits to it yet. Yeah, you live under under the stage somewhere, <laughs> Phantom. Well, we know that Kodos's, the supposed Kodos remains were burned beyond recognition. Mm. So presumably there were fires or something that could have happened. Yeah, I do wonder got, what, what the he got real case was. Two-faced. Thank you, Jake. It's really, it's really curious because you know, considering Kodos is such a such a demonic character, that they almost try to humanize it a bit by by giving it this. He had to do it so half the people would survive, kind of a thing. Well, is it a... eugenics or is it survival? And it comes, it comes up being very complicated. Well, I think in this episode, it sounds like it was survival, but that he was picking arbitrary. Well, yeah, you know sort of deciding who lived and who died versus anything remotely fair. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the Galileo 7 next time. And there's also just the fact that, you know, this is, again, the the late 60s, and uh, I meant to look this up and completely forgot, but I kind of wonder if this was an era where maybe they had recently... I mean, I know it happened throughout the decades that followed, but if there had been any particularly high-profile old Nazis dug up at that Mm. point... Huh. Because, I mean, certainly people kept looking for surviving SS officers inside. I mean, they put one to trial within the last year or two that they found. 
yeah. I but that. I imagine you were probably finding more yeah. closer, closer to the war. So I, I, I was very conscious of that the whole time. It's like, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of it a... It definitely felt World we, War II. We found a Nazi years yeah. later mm. kind of thing. Yeah, and this, this episode actually echoes, or I guess the other episode echoes this one, uh, one of my favorite, very favorite DS9 episodes, Duet, in which Kira identifies a former Gull who was in charge of, of a camp in which there was a massacre, and it was just, he was a cruel motherfucker. It's definitely one of the best early DS9 episodes. I think it's season one or two, and it's possibly one of the best DS9 episodes Overall, just the way it's acted and, and performed, but it's very much the same type of thing. Only it has a very uh, it has a different twist to it, which I like a lot. Oh, fun! I look forward to getting to that episode. <laughs> Three so, years from now, I know yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The <laughs> timeline makes me makes me so anxious sometimes. <laughs> so with with the you know the, the twist, how how do we feel about uh, the whole Lady Macbeth breakdown at the end? I. Was nonplussed by yeah, it. It's a little over the top. Yeah, I felt like it was unnecessary. I feel like I could understand her defending her father, yeah. but then defending her father and then becoming a be, and then being a crazy side. Yeah, going full crazy town. You know, she goes from much. zero to get this woman a straight jacket in about ten seconds, and she apparently goes so crazy she blacks out and forgets the last day or two. It sounds like it's very yeah. strange because they say she thinks her father's still alive. Yeah. Oh, I, I think... assumed that was just her being crazy. I didn't assume that that was because she had amnesia. I assumed it was because she. No, was... I think she was crazy. I think. I think yeah, I think. Right. I think yeah. I think. Either way, yeah. She 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 went crazy enough that she managed to convince herself reality hadn't occurred. Yeah, I think what the what may have happened is the, the writers were getting a little too Shakespearean Very here. Very much so. Also, actually, I meant to bring this up earlier, like, it's creepy enough Kirk's hitting on a 19-year-old, but who the fuck cast themselves as Macbeth and their daughter is Lady <laughs> Macbeth? That's also, like, I don't think they ever have a particularly steamy scene, but just, it's still weird on paper. Well, as we said, we haven't seen what the other members of their troop yeah. looks like. There's three members of the troop, yeah. and <laughs> they pretty much have to do that. It's actually, they're actually doing a bridge Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. It's all oh, just a comedy show. We would have seen briefly seen, um, I think, did we see when he killed Duncan? Was Duncan... Oh yeah, that was somewhere. somebody else. That, that was, was another there, member. So there's at least four. There's yeah, at least there we go. Four members of the Caribbean. Oh, well, how do we know that wasn't the guy that played Hamlet? He was actually an older guy. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, they did. They did a great job ruining the play by talking loudly backstage was, all the goddamn time. That was the other thing. I kind of when they're having that very loud conversation during the act break. You can like, hear everything when someone's talking backstage. Yeah, and it's a very small little theater. There's not a lot of <laughs> like imagine you imagine the crew sitting there in the audience like hearing. Literally all of this. And it's like, did he just say, what the... <laughs> Should we do something? No, 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 well... What's Riley doing with that phaser? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> like, there wasn't a ton of stage there. It's, he's probably peeking out, like, Hey! Hey, Kevin, how you doing? What? Yeah, hey, Frank, I gotta go kill this guy who murdered my family. Oh, crazy! All right, we'll see you later in the rec room. <laughs> oh, dear. Any other any other thoughts before we shift over? No, I'm, I'm happy to shift over. So, sorry to make Caitlin wait when she was anxious to move on. Oh, no, it wasn't. It's just we literally had that we, point Yeah, we, said, we were like, saying it a lot. Well, if we could move on to Balance of Terror, we said it like five times. So. Which, you know, I was, you were sort of tying it together earlier, and then we have people we've, you know, with the sort of the identity thing. One thing I thought sort of tied them together was whoever wrote this one, I feel like... Wrote Balance of Terror? Yeah, whoever wrote Balance of Terror 
tried to give this sort of, at least to my mind, it felt like they're trying to give the Romulans an almost Shakespearean demeanor, if not the language. You know, some of the stuff, I forget what the line was specifically, but Caitlin, you pointed this out. At one point, um, the commander there, who even in the credits is Romulan commander, had this line, and he's yes, very poetic, sir. It's <laughs> sort of a joke. But they, there's something very formalized about the way they do everything that felt kind of theatrical. Mm. And that was... Yeah, it's like they—they they, obviously there was a lot of trying to make them Roman, quote unquote. Oh yeah, but with, the, that, with their with their big togas and everything. Yeah, their yeah. togas and their helmets. But for whatever reason, whoever wrote this like was told, right? So the Romulans—they look like Vulcans. It's kind of a Roman thing, and this person's only touchstone for Rome was Shakespeare. Mm. So yeah. he dumbed down the language, but otherwise they were Shakespearean Romans with Vulcan ears. Yeah, unless they were wearing the helmet, in which case they didn't need to have. Yeah, it saved them a bit of money. I thought of that. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure okay, the ones... they have to take castings of everybody's ears. Yeah. That's, That's probably why they got Mark Leonard back to play Sarah, because they're like, well, we already have his ears on file, so... <laughs> That's actually one thing I do want to do when we get to that episode. I kind of want to go back to stills of Balance of Terror and see if the ears are identical or if they're at all... Well, why would they make another... Because I'm sure that they have to, like, cast the ears and carve Ooh. them out and make actually make the prosthetics. <coughs> Sorry. We're assuming they saved them, though. That's true. Especially if, if Journey to Babel was not the same season... Mm-hmm. It was not. It's not, yeah. yeah. I think it's either season two, maybe three. No, it was not three. I don't know. Either way. That doesn't come up for a while. Yes, Mark Leonard, eventual father of Spock, and our first Romulan. Yeah. Isn't he another species somewhere? I think he's cast as a third species in some other episode. I want to say, I mean, I want to say he's actually one of the Klingons in the motion picture. Maybe. Hmm. Might, you might be right. Which is an interesting sort of one of, the, one of the ones that gets fucked up by V'ger. Yeah, with the with the not-quite-there-yet ridges. <laughs> yeah. I felt like he wasn't the commander. Yeah, I felt like like watching him as the commander, I was kind of like, why would they ever ask him back for a larger role? <laughs> or like a, a, a more extended role. Oh, so you didn't you so you didn't care for Balance of Terror, Caitlin. Oh I didn't no no, I didn't not like Balance of Terror. I just felt like he was very like wooden. I just wasn't really impressed by Mark Leonard's Mark mm-hmm. Leonard, is that his name? Yeah. I wasn't really impressed by his performance. Not like always. There were some moments that were like really tight, but a lot of it was just very felt very wooden and disaffected. Well he was playing it very Vulcan, I thought. Like, he was, like, they probably were like, oh, yeah, you guys are kind, you, you guys are basically Spocks. But they're I'm, not. Well, Here's a question, because I, I don't know. How fa- how long ago did the Romulans split off from the Vulcans? Well, well it's, I don't know if it's ever directly 100% established, but the implication is that it's many, many, it's it's long enough ago that the, the, the Vulcans didn't know. You wow. Know? It's not until TNG that Spock tries to reunite the the tribes, as it were. Oh my. Yeah, I mean, when Spock talks about it in this one, it, it feels like it's... Among the Vulcans, it was maybe, for lack of a better term, rumor and innuendo that maybe there had been a group that split off from them, but it wasn't certain, or one of those things maybe they didn't want to sort of believe. Yeah, I would think that they would have known that there was a splinter group that just left... But, yeah, but whether or not they had survived and right. who they had become yeah, is and, and become a whole new population that settled in in their quadrant of the galaxy or wherever they are. Like they've they've come a long way. It sounds like yeah. it was certainly long enough, according to the movies, that not only did Romulans establish you know a whole new civilization, but a branch of them then moves to a little planet and turn into Nosferatu's. 
And is evolution that, works kind of slowly, so... Is that the implication, though? Or is it... I see... I was Well, because they've still got pointy ears. I mean, they're horrible vampire things, but I, I always took it to mean they had evolved in a weird way because of Remus's atmosphere. So I forget what the see, I assume that they were, like, the native inhabitants. Yeah, when, maybe. When the, when the Vulcan splinter proto-Romulans arrived, they were like, oh... There's these, like, little guys that we can make slaves. Maybe. That would certainly make more sense. But then again, it's also just not a very good movie, so I don't think they get yeah. that much thought into it. Wait, wait, wait. Which These movie? are inhabitants of the planet Remus? Remans apparently are not just Vulcans with emotions. They literally, like you can tell, they based their appearance at least partially off the old Nosferatu makeup. They're all pale and pointy-eared. And so the, the Romulans and the Remans. Fill f- me in, because I'm... I'm, from, I'm, I'm is, finding this weird like mythology becoming well, a little too conspiracy. Again, this is yeah. this is from this is from Star Trek Nemesis, Vulcan which was is the the the, the wolf. wolf. That <laughs> yeah, this, the it's wolf. the last TNG movie, so we'll get okay. there someday. And again, the less said about the Remans, the better. Really, I was just make being glib. Oh my! But yeah, I don't know. I um, I don't mind Mark Leonard in this. I actually, it's very clear that the writer of this episode was just following the template of any World War II submarine oh, movie. Oh, this was actually based on a submarine movie. Well, there you go. It was called The Enemy Below. It was about an American destroyer versus a U-boat. Huh. Oh. And it had a very similar ending, except the uh, the U-boat did not self-destruct. But it they had sank, or did it escape? Uh, it sank, but they actually saved some of their crew. They uh. sa- saved some of the Germans and brought them on as their own prisoners of war, I guess, uh, I in this movie. Though that was actually, we were talking about, you know, fudging stuff with space facts earlier, but the fact that everyone was whispering on the two oh ships my God. when they oh were my in, God. like, silent Why running mode, whispering? it's like, guys, guys. Guys, I'll, they're not in the next room. Yeah, I'll give you a lot, <laughs> but everyone knows there's no sound in space. Like, But conversely, you were saying that the cloaking technology sounded like it was pretty legit. Yeah, and that they didn't have visuals either, because... In theory, if a cloak worked the way they say it does in the show, if you're like bending light around the ship, then they shouldn't be able to see anything either because no light is getting to their cameras or any other kind of light-sensing thing, be it an eye or an electronic device. That's neat. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense, the fact that the Romulans are also relying entirely on sensors when they're in a cloak, although later Star Trek cloaks will not work that way, and you can scan and communicate. You can do everything but fire weapons while cloaked. Yeah, or raise <laughs> shields. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, the, the definitely, this is certainly an earlier... Uh... I'm wondering if this might be one of the first uses of the cloak that, uh, you know, the Romulans developed it and then they're like, you know what, let's go try this thing out. Let's go blow up some shit in, <laughs> in Federate. Let's, let's head over to Shelbyville and fuck their shit up. That seemed to be, at the very least, they were definitely, the, the gun was new. And that was the big, yeah. you know, it's the big test of the new super weapon. I wouldn't be surprised if the cloak was new as well. Yeah, because you know, evidently there'd been no, no, the Federation had never encountered it before, and also it didn't seem like they quite, you know, there there are more iterations later. You know, like you say, eventually they get the ability to use sensors and everything while they're in cloak, and also that like in this episode, it's shown that they're able to be detected. Yeah, pretty that's easily right, yeah. by the Enterprise. You just can't see them. You can't see them, but you can pretty much tell where they are by right, their. Can I say that if they were if they were to uh, fly through a comet, a comet wouldn't have a tail that far up in space. What do you mean? Comets' tails are. are I actually I wrote this Isn't down because I was very. Stuff or? Yeah, comets' tails are are caused by solar radiation, so they only see them when they're like 
literally next to a star. Mm. So there, there are a con- star. Hmm? We, they could have been near a star. We don't I don't think they were that near a star. Well, actually, they must have been, if only because the listening posts or whatever were on asteroids. And yeah, that was another thing, uh, another thing that confused me. Is, how were they is, not just spiraling through space? Yeah, why, and... why these... They're specifically set up like along the neutral zone on, on what must be immobile asteroids or like... Or like just bits of space debris that are, that are flung out into deep space. But if they're out in deep space, then it means that there's no sun. Because otherwise those asteroids would be revolving around something. Aren't asteroids... Or no, comets are by definition orbiting bodies. Are asteroids necessarily orbiting things? I mean, I or are asteroids just any old piece of rock? I mean, there are asteroids. I mean, there are plenty of like even like like fake planets. Like little, little planetoids that were just in some weird gravitational throw thrown out into space where they're just stuck because they're too far away from from a sun to to be affected by its gravity so they just sit there freezing cold planets out in the middle of nowhere i watch a lot of universe shows yeah again that's just the exact mechanism of those those little listening posts it's best not to think too much about because that's obviously just an unsubtle metaphor for any sort of series of posts along a dmz yeah you know. This is true. Because, mm. I mean, yeah, because by then the Korean demilitarized zone was well established. Uh, you know, North and South Korea, uh, Vietnam are still there. There's not just a single Vietnam at this stage. So, I mean, that's what's going on there, obviously. Is It's it's even the checkpoints along the Berlin Wall, if you really want. Sure. Mm. And, and, you know, and the other thing, the other reason to have them be asteroids is that allows them to further emphasize the strength of this new weapon. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Because the station commander's like, ah, oh, we're miles beneath solid iron. Mm. Still moves up. Here's a sample of the hardest structure known to man, and he crushes it in his hand. Well, that's just because Spock's super strong. I thought, it, I assumed it was because uh, the weapon had broken yes. it to that. No, that, that was the Okay, thank you. Good. I'm not crazy. No. I, was well. being, I was being a bastard. Yeah, it was a forced implosion, I guess. Just compressed everything to brittleness. That is interesting. That was um, pretty cool. Later, Romulans use disruptors. Yeah. Which disrupt matter. I wonder if they're, if it's a related tech. Yeah, I don't know. Because this is some sort of plasma weapon, they said, yeah. right? Yeah. And it moved really slowly. Yes. Well, actually, not really. Because they, they were well, backing true. away at warp, and it was overtaking them. That's true. It just looked slow, relatively speaking. Mm. Yeah, that was that was where I started like getting my mind my, my started getting off track there. It was like they're running away at warp. This thing is chasing them at warp. And yet, you know, two seconds later, oh, here's the Romulan ship again. It's right here. It's been with us. Mm. Well, the Romulans apparently only have impulse. Even though they have what look like nacelles, Scotty says they only have impulse. Hmm. Yeah, this is even more confusing. Too. So Well it makes probably makes sort of sense because you wouldn't be able to cloak and You're right, this is true. warp at the same time. Probably. Yeah, it's, it's it's clearly a pretty experimental vessel. Yeah. But it is confusing, because again, you used to sort of... It has what looks like nacelles in the way that the Enterprise does, so you'd expect it to be warp-capable, but those are but apparently even, just rockets. But even even in TNG time frame, Romulan vessels don't use the same type of warp technology the Federation vessels use. Oh, are they not? No, they use a artificial quantum singularity as opposed to um, uh, matter-antimatter. Okay! Yeah. That sounds... Nerdy. Dangerous. Yeah, there's an epi- there's a good episode of TNG, an okay episode of TNG, where there's a Romulan ship that some time aliens 
use find the artificial singularity and use it as a nest for their young. Oh God. And then the Romulans try to destroy it, and it causes time to freeze, and the Enterprise gets stuck in it, and then... Oh, I saw that one years ago. I remember that it's, now. It's, it's, a, it's, a fun, it's a fun little... Romulan technology is weird. Is they do the they take do some, away they do this. some fucked up shit. But yeah, anyway, it's not it's not very clear whether or not that system that warp system even requires the same hardware that that uh, like missiles and things like that. True, true. But yeah, at the very least, this ship does not have any. Yeah, yeah. Scott confirms that much. One of the things I thought was kind of interesting, and I might just be like reading too much into it, but I feel like someone remarked that since they were cloaked, it was like they just appeared out of nowhere. And I feel like in the 2009 Star Trek film, where the main antagonist is a Romulan, they're like, it just came out of nowhere. And of course, he was using like wormholes or whatever. But I wonder if they were... Oh, the Narada. Yeah. I wonder if they were like doing that on purpose or if I'm just reading too much into it. Oh, maybe. Yeah, just sort of like making a callback. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Certainly, <laughs> those, see that. those Romulans also had proper original series... Romulan foreheads. There's a, there's another callback uh, into to another Data's Day thing. The 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 wedding ceremony at the start. Oh, it was so sad. Yeah, in, oh. da- in Data's Day they marry uh, Keiko and O'Brien. Mm. Yeah, but O'Brien probably lives, whereas this guy did not. Yeah, and that but was O'Brien very sad. lives a shitty life. <laughs> Things just get so fucked up for him. Especially at DS9. He goes to prison for a lifetime. But not. Yeah, but not that's really. a good episode. Um, Have you ever seen, uh, what is it, Chief O'Brien at work? Oh, that little the cartoon. Yeah, look, look it up if you get the chance, listeners. It's a delightful little online comic. There's, just, uh, there's not loads. The guy updates them sort of just when it when the whim strikes him. And it's, it's Chief O'Brien as the transporter operator for the Enterprise D. He's very lonely. Desperate for company. It's quite funny mm-hmm. in a very tragic sort of way. Little like Riley locked away, waiting for someone to sing to him. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> except no one will even do that for him. Mm-hmm. They avoid him at all human cost. Aww. But yeah, the, the wedding ceremony. You're just like, well, <laughs> which one of you isn't surviving the episode? Mm. Yeah, it, did, it was basically a foregone conclusion. I was like, oh, but freaking one of y'all Styles is lives, and Styles is a douche. Well, see, Styles had to live so he could learn a valuable lesson. Yeah, uh, yeah. We see there's some interesting uh, racism at play. Listen, leave any bigotry in your quarters. We've no room for it on the bridge. <laughs> I'm kind of. You're half waiting for Kirk to kind of go over to Spock and go, "Look, but I mean, this isn't bigotry. But seriously, they look just the fuck like you. What's going on?" Yeah. And they eventually did address it in the meeting, but he did kind of take his time. On that one. Yeah, he probably should have brought that up first. Yeah, or like, even Spock. Hey, everybody, just, been... just so you know. Yeah, like Spock like. Huh. So, fun fact, we always kind of thought there might be people out there, and hey, look at that. Great day for my people. We know now, oh God, they're all overly theatrical weirdos. Hmm. Oh, oh God, a hundred years ago, they killed a lot of people. In their fabulous sweaters and scarves. scarves. I love how obviously just knit their uniforms are. It's kind of the best thing ever. Mm. Yeah, some nice uh, houndstooth uh, stuff yeah. going on mm. there. It's very stylish. But yeah, that, that, I, I, actually, you had said this earlier, but I, I meant to say it at the time, but I didn't. I always, I kind of read a lot of how the Romulans were performed, including the commander, was just sort of, again, ties into the fact that everything about the Romulans felt heightened and theatrical. It's like they were told to be a bit stilted and ridiculous, it feels like. Mm. You know, even his, his little centurion best friends, you know, like a little too much eyeliner on. Like, mm. it was very play-like. Got a really good look at Spock's eyeliner in that episode. Yeah, he you has, said that. He has a fierce-ass cat's eye going on. <laughs> it's awesome. 
The other interesting thing with the uh, with the Romulan bird of prey here is it breaks. Well, see, it doesn't break. There weren't conventions yet, but as time goes on, it seems like regardless of the species, they all tend to do a sort of Starfleet style bridge setup. There's a central bit with a captain, and there's crew sort of arrayed around the edges in some way, shape, or form. This, because again, they're going for sort of a submarine thing, everyone's kind of clustered around this thing in the middle, and it's almost like everyone has their own little periscope station. Mm. But it's, it's a very different bridge from yeah, what will a... become the bridge idea. And I was noting that I feel like times when we see other Romulan bridges, even in Next Generation, they follow a, the same, like they maintain that center console sort of thing that everybody mm. kind of works around, which I, I think is a nice bit of continuity that they yeah. keep that a Romulan thing. Yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice touch. I, know, I, I think just when like Deanna the... had to be a Romulan... I'm rolling my eyes really hard right now, Jake. Because <sighs> I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. No, I'm just thinking that she had to pretend to be a Romulan, and I feel like she had a captain's chair on a Romulan bridge. Uh, well, I know there's some episode within the next season or two where Romulans have copied or stolen Klingon ships or something, and they might... I feel like the, the captain of one of them has some ridiculous, like, Captain's Divan or something. Mm. I might be misremembering. We'll see when we get there. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you going to say something, Ames? <laughs> was I going to say something? It's gone now. I mean, no, I was... I, I would love to talk a little bit, cause just because it's something that, that, I don't know, maybe still eludes me, is... So there was the, the Earth Romulan War 100 years ago, and yet they never knew who they were fighting. What the fuck? Yeah, all all communications were non. <laughs> they were radio and radio such. without a visual uh, connection. That is crazy town. Yeah, it does seem a little. They, weird. they could be fly monsters, and you'd have no idea. You could be fighting a swarm of bees. <laughs> well, I think it's... that's in, that's from Ender's Game. So sorry. I feel like there's a sort of like facelessness to all war, though, and it would be the oh, same with. You're beautiful, Caitlin. No, I love for, that. I no, love that real. so much. But I mean, because. Why are you laughing? I am still cracked up. I have this wonderful mental image of just a ship manned <laughs> by like hundreds of swarms of bees that clump together into vaguely person-like shapes. God damn it, Chris. To, to push buttons and shit. Even though that's not how they would design. Oh my god, ship of bees. Keep going. I'm just going to sit here and giggle quietly to myself. Okay. You, you had a very good point that Caitlin I destroyed was making a, a beautiful poetic point about the facelessness oh. of war. Well, and, and also, like, especially since this was supposed to be, like, submarine, sub, submarine, submarine film-esque, any, any type of war, and especially, like, you know, World War II, you probably didn't see people a lot because you were just kind of firing on, you know, whoever, and... Yeah, you... unless you're on the ground with a, with a spear in your hand. Right. Like, you're, you did, you're throwing you had... things, over, like, at each other. Yeah, because you had a lot of tanks, and you had a lot of, like, airplanes, and you had a lot of submarines, and you had a lot of ships, and I think... Well, I think, yeah, you're right, was... that... Sort of the 20th century sort of was just increasing distance from your enemy in war. They didn't even know what, what the what their Romulan ships would look like, too, though. Yeah, because they hadn't had contact since the war. Wow. Yeah, I think it's something like that. You know, there was... War became increasingly impersonal over time. Because even when you had guns, even the early guns, yeah, you got fired from a distance. But even then, you know, the... Everybody looked the same. Everybody's in the same uniform. There's no real... But, like, even then, you had to get close enough that you could probably make out faces kind of well. And chances are you took your one shot and then just charged in with your bayonet. So, I mean, there was this, you know, like I said, war becoming increasingly impersonal. We're at a point in the Cold War where the real fear is that nuclear Armageddon's going to happen, and that's going to be ICBMs. You know, someone in, in Washington gives an order, 
a rocket launches from the Midwest and drops on Moscow. You know, that's the ultimate in impersonal warfare. So I think you really hit upon what maybe part of what's going on there is the idea. And then nuclear winter happens and it's even colder. <laughs> wow. Thanks, President-elect Trump. Ugh. Don't even say it. She's got better hair than him. <laughs> I got better hair than everybody. Point. <laughs> uh, what else did we? What else know, did the, we have? The one other, the other thing that I wrote down is, oh no, the ship is made of styrofoam blocks. <laughs> Caitlin pointed that out. <laughs> yeah, when they fall down and take out the centurion. <laughs> oh my god! Because I don't think Chris. Like, pretend I, it's heavy. Because <laughs> yeah. I feel like Chris looked away when the I was piece making fell. A note. Yeah, when yeah, the piece yeah. fell, I was just like. What? Oh no, he's been crushed to death by styrofoam. <laughs> See, what oh, I kept great. noticing was just that every time the Romulan ship got hit, like bits of rock and dust were falling from the sea. Like, what's your ship made of? <laughs> asbestos. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, hey, Romulans maybe are immune to asbestos, so That's it's true. a great thing to make a ship out of if it doesn't kill you. Now, here's the thing. All right. If Romulans and Vulcans are the same, biologically speaking, mm-hmm. And we know that Vulcans are immune to the effects of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Romulan ale. What the fuck is Romulan ale? So here's the thing. Maybe he Ooh. just meant they were all alcoholics and they stopped drinking. Well, maybe that's why Romulan ale is so strong. We kicked the they head. really need it to. It needs to be super strong in order to have any effect. I mean, here's the other question: is why why are Vulcans immune to to alcohol? And it's it, is it more a almost like Zen thing? Well, that's, that's, the other thing is we don't... It's a mind thing rather than a body thing. We don't quite know. It could be all that Spock meant was that it's not that he literally can't get drunk, but just that... He doesn't like it. They don't, they they don't, don't drink. They don't drink well, as a species. It's completely illogical to yeah. intentionally let go of all of your faculties. Yeah. Like actually, getting drunk, I can't. I think that that would basically be hell for a Vulcan, yeah. not being having any control. He definitely can get drunk because space madness was just akin to drunkenness. That's apparently. true. That's a good point. Of course, he's also half human. Well, but that was also half. dehydration, though. It wasn't like actually, right? Yeah. Wasn't it just de- dehydration, not actual? No, it was... All they no, said it made the it it sort of turned water into something akin to alcohol. But anyway, oh. but yeah, so it, but yes, it it could be either which way. The Vulcan metabolism is shown repeatedly throughout the years, being very strong. Presuming the Romulan would be as well. So if they can get drunk, it probably takes a hell of a kick. So I'm that would explain why Romulan ale is so fucking potent. It's mm. the one fifty one of space. Yes. Ting. I just have I just have the wildest tangent that we could probably go on. Get a girl, that, get that and tangent. That's, so so so. Yes. Romulans and Vulcans share a common ancestor. Obviously, they can more than I, I imagine they can breed and and have viable offspring, making them the same species. Um, well, humans and Vulcans can breed. Exactly. I was going to bring that up. So so humans and and Vulcans are obviously a viable species, or are, are obviously of the same species, as they it, can produce viable offspring. Assuming Spock can have offspring. I don't know if he's it, sterile. Sorry. I'm, I don't want to make that <laughs> he's judgment. Like, yeah. well, he does undergo pond far, so he well, least, that, he that doesn't has mean that you're not infertile. I mean, infertile women and men have sex all the time. No, that's true. Hmm. But he's, didn't you say that he is conceived via, like, in vitro, basically? So... Spock is? I don't know if this was ever said anywhere in the show, but... I've got the Star Trek The Motion Picture, like, I think it's the 20th or 25th anniversary re-release of the soundtrack of the score. And the first disc, just the score. It's very, it's a beautiful score. Film so-so, but amazing music. But it also came with a second disc of just random little interviews and segments and stuff from behind, throughout... Behind-the-scenes stuff? Yeah, yeah. And I'm just right, like, there was this weird weird thing where on one I don't know what this was originally recorded for but Gene Roddenberry I think 
is interviewing Mark Leonard in character as Sarek about Spock. It's bizarre. Hmm. But part of it is going into the detail about... And again, I don't know if any of this was ever confirmed. This is like, we want to talk non-canonical here. This is pretty big, but... Eventually he's going to tell us what it is. Yeah, sorry. It involved, like... Apparently, a human can fertilize a Vulcan egg through the usual procedures and vice versa. But then... The usual procedures. The zygote needs to be removed and put in, like, an artificial womb and treated with a great deal of care and a lot of, like... A lot of science goes into human and Vulcan mating and successfully producing a child, according to this very bizarre interview... Well, yeah, I mean, if Spock comes out with, you know, green blood or whatever he's got and, you know, different salt, and he yeah. was still, like, in his mother, who yeah. was a human, yeah. then, yeah, that would be, that would not make much sense. Not a lot, no. Well, what was, what was the point you were... Oh, I was just, I was, I'm just going back to, like, how far back and, and how many species are involved mm. in this common ancestor theory. Because I know there's a theory oh. somewhere, I don't know much about it. It's not you know, it's canon. It's canon? Okay. Yeah, because it's in a TNG episode. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get there, but I'm, the I'm always interested, just because, you know, I know we see, like, um, Bajorans and Cardassians have an offspring. I mean, so we, it's see, like, we, see, we see human Klingons, we see human Romulans. We see Romulans. all kinds of, like, hybrid things. Yeah, hybrids yeah. are not very rare in Star Trek. And what no. does this tell us? It tells us that when man gets the, the, the ability to travel through space at great speeds, that he will fuck everyone mm. he will put his dick in everything he, su- he finds. Spreading that seed. <laughs> uh, so, so what's the theory that you were saying about common ancestors? Because you said it's canon, not a theory, but what is the theory? So the, theory, so, so the, the, the deal is, uh, this is from a TNG episode called The Chase. It's a not a great episode, I don't think, because it sets up, it's a fan service thing. Well, we'll like. have this conversation, I'm sure, again, oh, we when we will. talk about that, this but, episode. But sort of the, the uh, high-level view of it is there was a single ancient species that existed and eventually died off, but before they died off, they seeded the galaxy with their DNA on planets such as Earth and Vulcan and Kronos and any place else and the whole reason is fan service is because the, the idea is that this is supposed to explain why bipeds exist and they all look human when of course the real reason is that we don't have access to alien actors right. <laughs> um, and also budget and yeah. budget yeah but yeah they decided to explain it away and it's probably not entirely necessary yeah so it, also, it also seems to make it more confusing because now you're, if you're trying to like also bring how did evolution therefore work Apparently it didn't. I don't know. Well, it's also like dog breeding, maybe? We think that there's different types of dogs, even though they all came from the same dog. But yeah, but then you're saying, then you're saying that if, 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 if this thing, if this primordial DNA or whatever it is, this, this, this Eve of DNA is something that all humans came from and all, and all all Vulcans came from and all whatever's came from. Therefore, monkeys must have come, or like, you know, early, early humans, like Homo habilis and, and back up beyond, 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 Homo robustus. All, all the various stages of evolution came from this DNA. Mm. And how far back does that go? Yeah. Are squirrels the same as people? Is Are jellyfish the same as people? Are there Klingon squirrels? Are there? Yes! Yes! Is? No! Guys, squirrels already are Klingons. That's true. Little claws. Tiny, <laughs> tiny squirrel the bat left. 
Yeah, well, I don't know. I feel like the idea is that it wasn't <laughs> maybe not come, necessarily just DNA, but it was all, it was DNA and then like... And like an instruction manual? Yeah, like some secret sauce Ooh. that made it, led it to this point. But it's so stupid. It was is it, pretty was stupid. It, was it decon gel? Was that the secret yeah, sauce? Yeah, that's exactly oh, it. Well, <laughs> here's the thing, you know, the, the, the actress that played that alien in The Chase, that is, it's a, like a holographic representation of this ancient race mm. same actress that plays the female founder in oh, ds9 oh fun so now you know tinfoil hat corner <gasps> um, oh i do love when jake wears that tinfoil, tinfoil hat. hat corner goes uh, real with that your the eyes founders were the in fact the ancient race that seeded the galaxy or oh, that Ooh. the founders knew that species and that's why they emulate that appearance maybe huh maybe i like huh. it Tinfoil hat corner. For well, place. well, keep that tinfoil hat on for the next couple of years. We'll revisit this <laughs> when we get to the founders and yeah. DS9. Oh, that's a ways off. Yep. Well, but yeah, you were talking about you know Romulan splitting off from Vulcans. Mm. If, you, if you go into the the uh, like the Star Trek EU, uh, there's apparently at least two other splinter groups. Oh, fun! According to memory, do data. we get to meet them? One of them appears in a series of novels, okay. and another, I think, is in Star Trek Online or some other video game, hmm. but they never appear in the series. As far as the series and the movies have said, there's the Vulcans, a splinter group went off and became the Romulans, finito. Hmm. Hmm. And then, again, we're not clear what the fuck is going with the Remans. Good. They're going to they're gonna have to try a little harder than these pointy eyebrows and pointy ears. They will not. They really need to stretch. They will They will not. It's going to be a lot of rubber faces from here on out. Thank Christ. Well, um, you got Tellarites and Andorians there. Yeah, they're pretty fucking interesting. Still a bunch of rubber. Yeah, well, fine. Yeah, that isn't just a ball of light. It's just the horda is like a pile of feces. <laughs> 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 it's it, it's a silicone based life. It is, it is. Uh yeah, there's another bit though in the episode that uh, there's that you know, Kirk's Kirk's having a pike moment. He's sitting there yeah. going, Oh, the universe on my shoulders or whatever, and it's a slightly goofy melodramatic scene, but Doc nails his line there. Oh, like oh, it's all a little don't. too self-serious, but he does it so well that it's like you saved this scene. Well the, done. the the don't destroy the one that is Kirk. Yeah, the like you know all, all the all the possible planets yeah. and lives and this and that, but only one of us. And it's just like that's a lovely one. They they keep giving their you know they gave they gave the original the, yeah the original Doctor that line about bartenders and you know the living and the dying. They gave him that. It's. They really had this idea that, that doctors were men of both medicine and just age-old wisdom. Oh. Mm. Probably because they didn't have specific, you know, the idea of a, a ship's counselor yet, so it kind of fell. It's kind of like how... Oh, we had a ship oh, psychologist on... Yeah. But they abandoned that idea seemingly pretty quickly, because one is not seen again until... Are we, are we talking about generation. Daner or what? Yeah, yeah Daner. Daner. Oh, Daner. I hardly know. Uh, yeah, Daner. I don't know. They were definitely trying, though... They, I liked how in the... Earlier scenes on the Romulan ship, they showed the Romulan commander as being sort of in the same place. Like, he's very disaffected. Well, he's disaffected with his whole culture, it sounds yeah, like. like mm. Why are we trying to start wars? Wars suck. Yeah, there's this... Uh, it's, it's interesting, this... You know, the, the little glimpses we get of Romulan society being, again, very Roman with this, you know, you gotta know the right people, there's a lot of corruption, there's all this weirdness going on, and... Yeah, he, he demotes a guy, and then the worry is, like, if that guy goes back to his friends, like, there could be, what, like, an insurrection or something? Well, he, he seems to have the right connections. He could yeah. probably have that guy 
totally fired and or killed. Yeah, he's mm. like he's like the nephew of some high yeah, no, he's, he's senator or something. Yeah, like he's clearly someone important. If he hadn't died here, he would one day probably have been Praetor, or at least in the Senate. Praetor? However the fuck you pronounce that. Mm. I liked how they were both being like very self-congratulating, like, ah yes, this captain thinks just like me. Brilliant. <laughs> and they both do that, you know, and I was just kind of like, yeah, okay, guys. Yeah. I love how they, they break into their... And this is this is a thing you see in just... You know, I'm sure there's a fucking TV tropes page for it. But just when they break into the Romulan communication system and can see their bridge. But for some reason, they're like, what should be static security or communication cameras can do dramatic zooms. <laughs> like, just the like the, the, the conscious security camera that knows just the right time and place to like, kind of zoom. And the, like, I wonder if this is one of the earliest examples of that just in fiction. Because again, this isn't even just a Star Trek thing. This is just a thing you see. Yeah. Wish we would have seen Kirk through the soft lighting lens that I feel like the Romulan commander is seeing him. We could have been friends. <laughs> it was sweet, though. I, I actually, I know you guys said that I didn't like it. I did like the episode. I just thought that there were aspects of it that were silly, and I felt like the fact that they were both being like emo edgelords was... Yeah. <laughs> well, you notice, you know, one thing that they do often with Kirk uh, in particular, I note, is they use this really dramatic... Eye light. They did that a couple do, of times. They I sh- see that a lot. It's the I. I don't know if they did it in the TV show, but they would do that all the time with Angelica Houston in the Adams Family movies. So I always think of that as the Morticia light. <laughs> well, I think it was just like a type of lighting that they used on mostly on female actors. Mm. To like, Female actors like, it's like a and light. Bill Shatner. Yeah, and and, and, and and Shatner get Shatner's like, wait a minute, why are all the 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 female co-stars getting the 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 eye light? I want that. Well, there was I remember thinking they whoever directed this episode did some very different things. You know, he did a lot of he was quite partial of this one shot where you were like dead on center with Shatner and you could kind of see Uhura over his shoulder. And that's not an angle they use a lot in the old series. They tend to use some very specific wider shots from, you know, usually Mm. they shoot it so that you're seeing Kirk, you know, kind of at three quarters and you can see the turbo lift behind him. And there was a lot of, like, tight in on people and weird angles. There's that moment where Spock just leans over the navigator. It just seemed like an awkward lean. Now, I noticed, I feel like the ending, like, right as the ending credits begin, looked really different because it ends, of course, you know, sorry, your fiancé is dead, Mr. Martino, whatever her name is. Mm. And then Kirk just walks out and it just, the camera just follows Kirk walking along looking sad as the the credits start. I'm like, that seems new. Yeah, He's just walking along, embracing the sad. Yeah, there was some very different choices here than you normally see in Star Trek. They, I think at least with the Enterprise, a lot of stuff, the bridge rather, a lot of stuff they were doing was an attempt to sort of heighten the dramatic tension and the sort of the claustrophobic submarine feel, since the bridge is actually really quite big, you know, and not very tightly packed. Yeah, I don't know. I, there, there's definitely been some instances, not just in this episode, where you could tell that either the director or that, you know, the cinematographer was experimenting. Yeah. And it, like, because there was one, I don't remember which episode it was, but there was one episode of, that we watched a few weeks ago where they had this, like, follow shot where it was, like, of the bridge and it followed somebody out of the turbo lift. Yeah, you're right. I forget which one that was. Yeah, but, but yeah, it, that it was an early one. It was, yeah. And it struck me as just, like, huh, that's a... Very different for that. That's a different shot. Like, you, like I don't think we even see the bridge from that angle any Not other time. Not usually, no. Hmm. no. But, you know, I think it's it it really good set of episodes, I think, we got this week. You know, when I remember when we were looking ahead and planning, I thought, oh, God, Conscious of the King and... 
Balance of Terror going to be the same episode. That's going to be a hell of a thing. Mm. So does anyone have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No, I just really liked these episodes. Yeah, I got nothing. A lot of cool stuff that that came up. That's always fun. I think one last thing, because I actually, I meant to say this earlier, but I thought of it with Conscious of the King, is I feel like they've definitely now got all the major pieces in place as far as being Star Trek as we think of it. They landed on exactly what the relationship was with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and they'll begin sort of building everything else around that now. So it'll be interesting to see if I'm correct in that supposition. Mm. Yeah, and we also, you know, we have the full cadre of Uhura and Sulu Sulu and Scotty. Scotty Yeah, like everyone save Chekhov now is here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And our our new friends, Riley and Styles, Mm. the whiny boys. Oh, and Uhura on navigation again this episode. But very intentionally. He's like, you take that over. Sulu gives her a look like, eh, sitting in the big chair now, huh? (laughs) With your... skirt that's shorter every episode. I I was like, Jesus, you literally are seeing her, like, butt cheeks now. Like, I mean, (laughs) I get that she's sitting most of the time, so it's not a huge consideration, but the poor thing, I mean, I I mean, it's a great butt, don't get me wrong, but still, you feel like in the 60s, having your ass hanging out on TV probably wasn't... Yeah, I'm surprised they uh, managed to slip that one by. (laughs) Also, one, one other little technical thing, it's funny, they clearly hadn't... I don't think they've come up with photon torpedoes yet, but it's okay because apparently you can set phaser blasts to just kind of explode at a distance. Yeah, the depth charges, those are kind of <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Again, that was all just the whole like doing a submarine movie thing, clearly. Yeah. But it was it was funny because you could it's one of those things, had it just been at a point where they thought of torpedoes, they just would have been using photon torpedoes instead. Mm-hmm. But that's just, you know, one of those in retrospect kind of things. I think it's it's phased energy. I suppose you could have it phase in such a way that it'll just burst after a certain amount of time. Techno babble. Sure, sure. Like a balloon, and something bad happens. <laughs> we have to watch that. Yeah. All right, well, with that weird little technical quibble, that has been episode eight of A Star to Steer Her By. Please join us next week where we will be watching Shore Leave and The Galileo 7. Uh, do please uh, find and like our Facebook page, A Star to Steer Her By. Find us on Twitter under at SSHB Podcast. We're also SSHB Podcast on Tumblr. And, uh, you know, do please follow us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash SSHB Podcast. And uh, do please subscribe to us on iTunes. And, you know, if you enjoy us, give us, a, give us a like and a rating, please, because that's what you say. First artist year by this has been Chris. And Ames. Caitlin. And Jake. Thank you for listening. Fucking weird bastard. Did you just Ooh. Eat, eat no, that? I put it. Don't move. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um